0: Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM
1: Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast. I'm your host Jeremy McCarthy and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeremy 74 On this week's show we previewed this weekend's Cork-Camogie Senior County Final with the Echo's Linda Mellerick I have a full roundup of all last weekend's Cork and Munster LGFA Club Championship results scorers and standout players including reaction from Monabby and Aero's cracking Senior A Final AFLW expert Mike Carano analyzes every AFLW 7th round result, each player's Irish performance and we preview what's to come in round 8 Monster Women's Hockey Graham Catchball is back to review the latest round of Munster Women's Hockey results Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley previews this weekend's Austin Grand Prix and has all the latest on and off track Formula 1 headlines and Corks Red FM's resident rugby expert Wendy Keenan reviews the latest women's AIL and Munster Open Cup results and lists all the upcoming Munster Girls youth rugby fixtures as the new season kicks off that's all to come on another jam-packed Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Aye,
2: aye,
1: aye, aye. Aye, aye, aye. Echo Live.ie and The Echo's Linda Mellerick join me on this week's Corkshire FM Big Red Bench to look ahead to this weekend's Shandoon vs. Sarsfield Cork Comoge Senior Country Final Showdown second time these sides have met in as many years Linda and I also talk about the proposed rule changes to camogie which are set to be trialled in the near future now ahead of this weekend's Cork Camogie Senior Final between uh, Shandoon and uh, Sarsfields, we are delighted uh, to welcome the Echo Live and Andy Echo's resident one of the resident camogie experts along with Mary Newman to talk to us about that final and the proposed potential changes rule changes that are being Trialed quite shortly in Komogi as well. Delighted to welcome back to the Big Red Bench, Linda Melrick. Linda, how are you?
2: I'm very good, John How are you? It's a while since we've spoken.
1: I know, it's too long, Linda, too long altogether. <laughs> um, we have reached the the, the 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 final round of what has been an entertaining uh, Senior Komogi Championship, for me anyway, from reading you and Mary in the Echo Live that and the Echo throughout the season. We've reached the final and um, two teams that we would have expected to and you anticipated would be there, are there but both of them had to come through very, very different challenges in the semi-finals. Um, first of all, how much are you looking forward to this final and how good a game do you expect it to be?
2: Well, I think, sure if it's anything like last year's final, mm. that was an outstanding game. Um, I thought the second half was outstanding in particular um, and I think if we've anything even close to that, it'll be a great game. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I, hopefully, the weather conditions will allow for for two kind of fast hurling teams to go at it. Um, hopefully, the weather will improve by the weekend. But um, yeah, look, it's 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 a highly anticipated one. Last year, I tipped Shandoon. I think this year, I'm leaning the other way.
1: Oh, any particular Rightly.
2: reason? Well, you know, I suppose there's a number of things. Obviously, SARS are hurting from last year. Mm. Um, plus they're now on the road for a double, which is massive for the club. And I think that'll bring huge, a huge crowd from Glenmire into Castle Road on Sunday. Um, Shandong haven't been firing in all cylinders. You know, now they only had one group game and it's always difficult for um, for, for division sides. And then they came on to that and they played Corsi Rovers and they played Clidove. Um They weren't great in either game, but at the same time, they did it when they had to do it, to be fair to them. Um, they pulled, uh, particularly against Shandu or Kadoof there in, in the last seven minutes. Um, but, you know, they, they have a couple of weaknesses. Their bench isn't as strong as Shandu's, or sorry, SARS, But at the same time, they have killer players who, if they perform, could could win the game for Shandu. You know they have a lot of great players. You know obviously they have the Mackeys and they've Amy O'Connor and you know but they have other you know experienced cock players at this stage and, and club players like you you've Nive O'Leary you've Sinead Mills you have um, Susan Kate Brosnan you know you have a number of players there but again then you've you have Blackhawk playing on um on Saturday and I think there's seven players involved there and their key players Haley Ryan you know Maeve Coffey who came on the last day Rosine defeated. Uh, Kino, Callan, you know big players as well, and win or lose, you know I'd, I'd only be more worried if they win from from a Shandong perspective. How they, you know, it's a long time coming for them. To be fair, and it would be great for them to win it. To be fair to them, you know they, they they've been knocking at the door for a long time, um, and you'd wonder how they react Saturday night with with their teammates to that. But you know, as I I was writing there to my today, you know, surely you know, the lure of a third senior title in a row and with a big, big crowd watching, which what I expect will be a big crowd, you want to do yourself justice. So I, I, I would, you know, and while they might be a little bit heavy-legged on Sunday after Saturday, um, you'd imagine that they, that they should still be able to, to drive on. So there's a lot against Shandun in that regard. Um, Sars, on the other hand, I think Sars are better this year. They're they're playing with a more confident um, they've got a number of players back. Uh, Nico Callan is a big addition in, in, in the back line, in the half-back line. You have Olivia McAllen back. You have Lucy Kelly back. Lucy Allen was the star forward, along with Orla Mullins, coming to the final last year and then missed the final through injury. And she's back. So, there's, you know, if you, if you were to look at it, stat for stat and point for point, you'd say, look, this is leaning towards Sars. But again, as I said, you have uh, two star forwards up there for Shandun. If they get space and they go on a rampage and hit four goals, well, then it's a different story. But, you know, I'm sure stars will have to work them that too
1: how much will the semi-finals of both teams like I mean St. Catherine's were behind for so long against Sars and got it back to one point towards the end and how much of the semi-final for Shandoon against I I, I know you wanted to mention Cladove because they really have been one of the big bright sparks of this particular championship both finalists came through serious seriously tough tests in the semi-final plus now Shandoon have the experience of some of their players playing the day before county finals in the past so I think they They'll just they'll they'll do what they have to do when it comes when the time comes. But those two semi-finals, Linda, that you wrote about in Echo Lighter and on, in the Echo, um, they were the they were serious tests for both of these finalists.
2: They were and will massively stand to both sides, you know, for different reasons. Uh, I mean, Shandum were put to the pin of their collars for the whole game by Tuduf. Uh an incredible defence that could have. Uh, as I've said in a number of reports, considered just two goals throughout the whole campaign both one from a penalty against uh earlier in the round, and then uh one and then just the the one in in come up to, to full time in in the semi final um the fact that Shandong dug it out will further build their belief and bond uh sars on the other hand were, were, were cruising and, and lifted slip and, were, and, and did struggle when Catrins ran at them down the middle and they conceded three second-half goals, um, four in total. You know, to see, concede four goals is a lot. Now, two of them were fortuitous to be fair. Um, but, if, you know, so are there gaps in the Sars' defence that weren't there in the Cladus' defence? That's, that, that's that's what I'm wondering. Um, despite the fact that you Sars have kind of more reputable and well-known names than Kledov, but Cladove have, a, you know, they have a great team without, without having any superstars, and, and sometimes that's worth its weight in gold, you know. So I think both sides, for different reasons, will take what they needed to take from those semi-finals. Um, belief, and at the same time, you know, not taking your foot off the pedal when you have that lead. I mean, it was the opposite for Sars, really, in last year's final. You know, they were so slow to start, and Amy O'Connor had won four before Shandun or sorry before Sars even blinked mm. and, and they drew level in the second half but they just never took the lead and I think that slow start will re- really probably played on their minds and they came out in the semi-final just gone against St. Catharines they tore out of the blocks they were brilliant so you'd imagine they'll continue that trend into the final and Shandun have been slow enough to start this time round so you know um, Look, things in roundabout, roundabouts, mm.
1: isn't it? It is not it? It is, and look, it, it's a very difficult one to call, as you said. But it's interesting that you're kind of, I, I understand, now why you're going for Sars and the way you've explained it. There is very succinct as always. But uh, it, I suppose, the big thing here then is that it promises to be a cracking final between two teams that know each other well from last year. A big crowd, big occasion for Castle Road, and, and, and a proper occasion as well to end what's been a very, very entertaining Cork senior. Camogie Championship this year um, which takes place this weekend between SARS and Shandun. Before we let you go we do have to just mention the fact that uh, news broke this past week of the trialling of potential proposed changes to Camogie playing rules aimed to enhance the game flow and skill. Now what that mouthful means is that there are six changes being proposed to the existing rules of Camogie and these proposed changes which will be trialled during the upcoming 2023-2024 season in the third level league fixtures are such uh, according to the Komogi Association, will seek to enhance the flow, skill and fairness of the game while maintaining player safety. Now, we're, we, we can't go through each of the six of them and discuss them in depth. I mean, one of them is a con- concussion substitute, which is, you know, a correct idea and something that certainly should come in. But with somebody with your experience and somebody, you know, who loves the game of Komogi like you do, some of the new rules that are being proposed, like the quick puck out, for example, and also the clean catch, more or less a mark, I've seen so many different changes, I know you have as well, in Gaelic football over the past 12, couple of years now, and they haven't really had the desired effect. And if anything, they've made the product uh, at club level and certainly at inter level less, less easy on the eye, to put it mildly. Are you concerned, Linda? Obviously, look, we want to see rule changes. We want to see Camogie develop and keep progressing, but... Is there a danger when you bring in a lot of rules all at once and they're only trialing them that there is the danger that you might actually affect what is already a very very uh positive product
2: yeah i i you know sometimes rule change for rule change sake is, just, is is just crazy and, and i and uh, out of these six there's certainly two that to me are, are are just one of them actually find uh, nearly a bit embarrassing um the quick book, what I find is fine you know, the um, shoulder shoulder contact being permitted is another one. No problem with that. My only concern, would, I'm happy with that. My only concern would be, you know, um, cynical or aggressive play will remain prohibited. Um, and again, that's open to referee's discretion. And you know, um, you know, what's an aggressive shoulder? You know, so um, I won't. You know, and uh, big one is 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 the, the head-on clash um, when which 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 is the big one, really, that is causing an awful lot of frustration in the game, and that doesn't seem to have changed. The hand pass being very uh, clear, that's that's fine. Um, this one, the sideline puck now, is one that annoys me. Teams will have the option to take a sideline puck from either the hand or the ground when the sideline puck is in their own 45-meter line. I mean, come on, this is senior, you know, I mean, or senior inter-county players not being able to take it, or you know, third-level players, you know, taking sideline pucks from the hand, giving them a free shot. That's that, that's silly. I feel. Um, then the the clean catch. This one kind of really probably frustrates me. I think. And uh, I mean, are we are we the AFL now, or what are we? You know. Uh, so, you know, if the ball is popped to you outside outside your own forty five meter line from your keeper and you catch it, then then you have a mark. In other words, every player has to back off you while you take a free shot. I just think it's actually. I, I cringed when I saw it. I said, "What are we trying to do?" It's like it's like you would you would reward a child for catching a ball when you're coaching them the game at underage yeah. and they caught the ball and say, oh, well, great right, catch, everyone back off now and leave them have a clear shot. I mean, like they're saying they want to improve the speed and the skill of the game. That's not going to improve any speed. That's going to slow it down. So a person goes up, catches the ball, they break away, they strike it. Now they go up and catch a ball and everyone has to back off and give them a free shot. I just find that so that that one is really one. Now that that's that's sticking in my bra a little bit, and I hope to God it just doesn't go anywhere, you know. Um, so that one and the sideline puck from the hand um, within their own again, forty-five meter line. I don't agree with those two, but the others, you know, um, the shoulder allowed, the, the the clear and evident hand pass. The quick puck, what I I actually like. Go keep, you know, sometimes there's a move on, and the, you know the keeper has to wait for the referee to write down the score, but put put the notebook into their back pocket scratch their leg and then blow the whistle you know that kind of, so um i think uh that's a good one as well but yeah but some of them i mean this this the, the big one for me is is the mark i think it's just crazy even trialling it why you know, that might
1: be on it anyway. No, I completely agree with you on that. And uh, I think it's counterproductive, as is the puck out from the hand. But it was good to hear it from somebody with, you know, a love of Camogie and somebody who has played and, and lived Camogie um, all her life uh, and, and would have a, a serious say. And, uh, and people will listen to your opinion, certainly on it, Linda. And it's going to be interesting just to see the reaction to how it goes. As I said, it's only been trialed in the third level league fixtures. But generally, when these things are trialed, they do end up at the club and inter-county scene not soon uh, not long afterwards. We will have to watch very carefully how that goes. But ahead of all of that, we've something we'll end on a positive note, a fantastic uh, senior county final to look forward to this weekend at Castle Road between Sars and Shandoon. If you get a chance to get down there uh, on Sunday, make sure you get down there and take a look at it. It's going to be a cracking game. Um, and Linda Merrick will have all the reaction and she'll have her match report on Echolive.de and The Echo the following week. But for now, on the big red bench, thank you very, very much for your time, Linda. And we will talk to you again soon
2: thank you Jersey see you Sunday The Big
0: Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from
2: 6pm
1: Ok so we're looking back on last Saturday's Cork LGFA Senior A County final rematch between the reigning champions Morn Abbey and last year's runners up Oak at MTU Cork the third year in a row the two sides faced off for the biggest prize in Cork LGFA club football Well I was fortunate enough to be there on behalf of the Big Red Bench to witness quite honestly what was one of the games of the season it finished Morn Abbey 2-12 two eleven, 2-11 but that doesn't even begin to tell the story of what was an outstanding game of football. In the end, it was a ninth Cork senior football title in the past decade and uh, just about deserving Wormhorn Abbey of that at the expense of Airog. Um, a third consecutive county decider, as I said, between two of the county's most talented lineups delivered, uh, as expected, a cracking encounter. They were level two eleven to two eleven deep into injury time and it looked like extra time was beckoning when Breed O'Sullivan uh, caught and recycled the ball after Darren O'Sullivan jumped highest from a free and Breed punched stood over the bar to win it for Mornabby. Abbey. were broken hearted at the, f- at the final whistle and you couldn't blame them. It was their third county final loss in a row and it was very, very difficult for them to take, obviously. But look, under Joe Carroll, their new manager, they played absolutely brilliantly, have been consistent all year and the Ovens Club will certainly be back once again next year. As for Mornabby what more can be said? Even under new management, Ronan McCarthy, the former Cork senior manager, taking over from Shane Ronan um, same story. Uh, Moore Abbey keep the trophies coming. A uh, much younger team is emerging, but uh, some of the experienced players in the old guard were very, very important to their victory this past weekend as well. It was it was just a brilliant, brilliant game. Um, it was anyone's game coming down the stretch when it took Emer Scally landed two late freeze to leave just a point between the sides. And then she did it again, converting her eighth free of the game uh, to level it up. And at that stage, we were four minutes into injury time. But champions are cha- not champions for anything and a long ball uh, free landed into the area won by Darren O'Sullivan the ball was recycled and as I said Brito Sullivan uh, fisted over the bar and from that there wasn't enough time for Aero to get back up the other end of the pitch and Moran celebrated yet another county final success 9 out of 10 ain't bad Clara Lynch uh, Laura Walsh Kiro Sullivan Ellie Jack Mauro Callan Brito Sullivan were on the scoreboard for the champions on the day as for Aerogue, Eamur Scally with 9 points 8 of those from frees, had a fantastic game Simon McGoldrick, um, uh, Myra Leary, and Orla Cahalan were also on the scoreboard. But um, look, disappointment for them, obviously, but a fantastic, fantastic county final. Great way to end the club season at the top grade in Cork. Now, Let's get some reaction from what was a terrific county final day. We're about to hear from Moorn winning manager, Ronan McCarthy, as well as the Moorn players, Breed O'Sullivan, Morrow Callan, Ellie Jack and Emer Meany. But first, here are the Lisgoold managers, Brian Duggan and Vincent O'Sullivan, plus their Cork senior, Dara Kinnery, following their club's terrific Junior D County final, 3-6 to 1-6 win over Ballon which was the curtain raiser to last Saturday's senior decider at MTU Cork. And this was also an absolutely brilliant contest, won by Liss-Gould, but fair. Played at they put in a huge effort brilliant to see a huge crowd for both finals as well supporting all four clubs and as we said we're going to hear from Ron McCarthy Breed O'Sullivan Mara Callan Ellie Jack and Imer in just a moment but first the victorious Junior D County final winners uh, co-managers Brian Duggan Vincent O'Sullivan and first Dara Kinnery. Dara congratulations you've enjoyed a lot of great days in the Cork senior jersey and in the Liss School jersey you're a Junior C club next year, county championship what does it mean to the parish and to you as well?
3: So sure, look it means so much to us like the lads have had loads of success over the last few years so we know what that looks like and it's just it's our turn this time we've two years of losing and we, that for a while there we had no junior team so it's just great to get back to it and we've a lovely bunch of girls loads of young ones there to bring us on to Junior C.
1: Was that the fuel the last couple of defeats and if to you had a bit of success under 21
3: um, yeah we we won under 21 I think it was C or D this year so again that'll drive up there's a lot of those girls there that might have played in that and they, they weren't tagged on the sideline but they've been there training with us all through the years they're just too young yet but that that's what drove us on and we bottled that feeling from last year down in Castletown Roach to drive on um, there's
1: a lot of young players including yourself in this panel looking forward to having a crack off junior C next year
3: definitely so that's what you want that's what you train for there's no point in playing in the lower leagues and you can try and give yourself for challenge and move up.
1: And is this school the place to be tonight?
3: This school is absolutely down towards us. Down to Smiths tomorrow. Move the DJ on.
1: <laughs> congratulations, well Glad to be Thank you very much. Vincent O'Sullivan, Brian Doggan, Congratulations, County Junior D champions. This school terrific battle came back in the second half how proud are you of this team
4: oh unbelievably proud they, they had a lot of heartache in the last two years they lost two finals but it was never going to happen this year we, 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 we made work of an 21 final recently hard work of it and we knew it was going to be the same today we knew that, how fast and dogged they are but we just said never give up never go, keep going and they show what grit they are and if they want to go on they can, they can go a long way in the next couple of years no doubt that's the key thing. This
1: is a very young panel as well that you have and you've really like you've really come of age over the last couple of years. Under 21 success and now this.
5: Yeah, I, th- I think the under 21 was the benchmark for us really. Yeah. Winning that was key just to get a title in, Jory, you know. Um, but then we had a good mix there because we have girls that lost county finals as Brian alluded to there and they really wanted to win it today. I think we were nervous at times today which you'd expect in finals, whatever. Fair play to Balhausig. They were outstanding. They're young as well. They're coming up the ranks as well. But I think we really wanted this today, and I think we we took it. Congratulations, Seaboard. There's a trophy to be
1: handed over there. So little... will done. Yeah. Thanks,
5: thanks, so much much, sir. Much, thanks, sir. thanks, thanks boy. Sullivan,
1: heart-stopping stuff. But you've done it again. Two twelve to two eleven. You got the winning point. What a day for you. What a day for the club.
6: Yeah. Look, we're absolutely delighted. Like, you know, I think there are certain parts that performance we'll look back on and won't be that happy. Like we went seven points up twice in the game and let them back into it but like it just goes to show like you know Laura Walsh is only 15 years old and she won that last free she was absolutely unbelievable today and like those young girls got us over the line and like during coming on there and catching that ball in the full forward line like she's only five weeks post-injury and like she's an inspiration to all of us and all the younger girls as well so I just couldn't be happier with everyone Um we're absolutely delighted
1: where does this rank amongst all of them or does, is there a ranking?
6: <laughs> no, I think all of them are special in their own way. I think like this year I suppose is different because we've had a lot of changes in the group um, in like the starting team and in management um, and I suppose like we probably were written off a bit this year and um, so I think it is special, you know, a few girls made their senior county final debut there today, and hopefully it's the first of many for them.
1: Congratulations, go on, enjoy. It. <laughs> Thanks a million. Mara Callan, as uh, as finals go, as close things as things go, you couldn't get much closer than that. But you've done it. You got over the line, and that's all that matters.
7: Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, I don't think the heart rate has come back down yet. That was end to end stuff there in the last second half, really as a whole. It was tit for tat the whole way. So just so delighted that we were able to win the ball back in hinge and the, the final whistle blew so
1: we hung on by the, the minimal of margins. They put it up to you today. They've done that over the last years but especially today aero they were really good
7: yeah absolutely they're, they're a fantastic outfit to be fair and that was I'd say quite a spectacle, spectacle for a neutral but um, heart-wrenching stuff with your you know for either side so look it was a really good game of football and they really did put it up to us for the a whole 60 odd minutes that was played
1: just finally I mean look you've, you've been here before you've won tight games before and you've gone on a lot of younger players involved Dishit, it was a real difference in the squad
7: yeah absolutely I mean it's a running joke at this stage that like the difference in ages among the panel but like This'll, this is a brilliant experience for them to you know age out a game as tight as that so like you can't buy stuff like that so it's fantastic that they are able to get that into them I mean so many under 16s even were playing today so like that will really stand to them as far as experience goes
1: they're calling your name there for the cup go get it
7: <laughs> thanks sure
1: um, Ellie it doesn't get much closer than 212 to 211 with a 6 minute injury time winner but you did it today but fantastic first of all congratulations is that as tough a game as you've had in a Mornami senior jersey
8: oh thanks dear. yeah no it was helter skelter stuff yeah and um, you know, just it, we just showed resilience and determination there in the end. And you know, to have Dierin come on who was injured for the last few months, and you know she played a vital part in it. And you know, Breed even scoring the winner, you know, it was amazing. It just showed us, you know, that we're still here. We still want to win. And you know, looking back on last year, it was unlucky that we lost against Fanny Max. So you know, we're we're backing at it. So yeah, no, thankful we won today.
1: Um, the difference as well I think Ellie is that there's a lot of younger players like yourself have come through and you've matured what kind of like that experience and winning that of game you can't put a price on that that's really going to bring you on
8: oh yeah not at all I suppose you can't take these wins for granted either and you know it just shows that like you know the players coming up you know they've you know they've had like such good training before this, and you know they came in here with a positive attitude, and you know they fitted in perfectly. So yeah, we're so um, happy to have them on the team.
1: Another crack at a Munster Championship. Young team, good panel. Some players come back from injury. Looks looks good so far.
8: Yeah, I know we're going to enjoy it, uh, today now, and then head back out in the field on Monday, or Tuesday, and you know hopefully retain the Munster again
1: congratulations so well done uh, cheers thanks Drew Eimear Meaney heart stopping stuff one point victory deep into injury time but you are county champions once again
6: yeah look it's unreal I think my heart is, is still <laughs> going 90 there it was, it was really really tense at the end we knew like third year meeting them yeah. it was going to be just as tough if not tougher and they absolutely brought it to us today till the very last minute it was anyone's game but we're delighted to get over the line this one is really
1: really sweet is the experience of previous finalists that you've gone through like this Has that was that key today for so many young players involved as well
6: I think yeah like we, we have a really good mix obviously we've, we've lost a few players over the last few years but the the youth that's coming through is unbelievable their talent and then I think a mix with us oldies our, our experienced players as you like to call them we have a good balance so look they went out they have no fear and I suppose we have that little bit of experience and, and it works
1: well of all the ones who have won, this is one of the closest, but sweetest.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Listen, congrats and enjoy it. Thanks,
6: sir. Thanks very much.
1: Uh, Roland McCarthy. First of all, congratulations. Fantastic victory for Moran Abbey Nine in the last ten years. Your first year in charge. Before we talk about what we just saw, why did you want to take this job on? Why did you want to get be be a, be a part of
5: what is the Moran Abbey juggernaut over the last few years? I, look, I, I suppose I hadn't. I'd been coaching uh, girls in Douglas um, with my own my own kids. Um, once I had finished with Cork, so listen, I, I, you know, they they were a very interesting, um, I suppose, proposition when when I was asked, and um, they're a team with you know obviously massive ambitions every year, and I suppose okay, it was something that took me out from maybe my comfort zone in that you know it, it was certainly different for me and. Um, you know they've been a fantastic club to work with fantastic group of players to work with um, there's such I suppose, quality throughout it throughout the club and, and, and the team and a great bunch of young players coming through as well so there was an awful lot really attractive about it and, and, and I really really enjoyed it
1: Did you enjoy today? I know the result is there but from a manager's point of view Brito Sullivan getting that injury time winner but what went before there was just nothing between these sides
5: no, oh, there was nothing, and and that was going to be the way. And um, I suppose there's been a lot of change. Let's say from the team three years ago, that one three years ago, I think, I think maybe nine of that team, uh, you know, in total, with five from 2021 and four from 2022, are not here today playing, which is massive change. But but there's really really good um, quality players coming through underage, and I think the club the club I suppose to be fair you know while they want to win though no, they're also looking forward to the next group of players because you know Breed and during and all those Kira, listen they're fantastic players but they're not going to go on forever so I think this is an important one for the club in that it's maybe a transition into a into a new team and if you can do that and keep winning then all the better
1: Just finally, the maturity that your younger players that you mentioned showed today, like losing the lead twice but still having enough in the tank to come back and put away a really quality team
5: like Airog, that must give you hope heading into Munster. Oh, it does and, and listen when, when you come through when you come out the right side of a, of a game like that you know we could have equally have lost it you know and um, you know you come out the right side of it it brings players on you know we got a lot of young players into the team young players starting and it'll certainly help them um, you know it'll help them as we go into the into the monster campaign but um, listen what we do is you know we'll savour and enjoy today uh, every one of them counts you never take it for granted and, and the club certainly don't and uh, Look, they're, they're a wonderful bunch of players. They show great heart today despite setbacks, you know, lo- losing a lot fits. We obviously didn't have Diernan for the game. We got it in at the end. Um, and despite all that, you know, they kept at it and kept at it and got, got, got there eventually. Congratulations. Well done. OK, thank you. Thanks.
1: Now, a busy weekend of Cork LGFA and Munster LGFA matches began with newly crowned Cork Junior A County Champions O'Donovan Rossa qualifying for the 2023 Munster LGFA Junior A. Championship semi-finals. The West Cork club overcame Tipperary's Lockmore-Casalini to reach the Munster Junior A last four in Tipperary last weekend. Playing against a strong wind, Ross has led their opponents 1-4 to 5 points at the interval before adding two second half goals to seal a 3-12 to 2-11 victory in Temple Tui. Ava O'Donovan played a pivotal role in the Skibbereen Club's victory by top scoring with 2-7. Fanula O'Driscoll won one, Laura O'Mahony two points, Emma Hurley and Eve O'Driscoll a point each completed the West Cork side's total on a memorable afternoon for the recently crowned Cork LGFA Junior A County Champions. O'Donovan Ross's reward is a Munster semi-final away to Clare Champions Newmarket on Fergus this Saturday. Also this weekend, Cork LGFA SFC's County B Champions Castlehaven will be the other West Cork team on the road. The Haven faced Tipperary's Comer Rangers in the Munster Senior B semi-final on Sunday afternoon. A positive Cork LGFA weekend was completed by Glanmire's Munster Intermediate quarterfinal win awaited Galtier last weekend. The newly crowned Cork Intermediate champions defeated their Waterford opponents 5-10 to 0-12 thanks to 2-1 from Annie McCarthy, 1-2 from Orla Roche and Michelle Delay, 3 points from Niamh McAllen and 1 point each from Evie Toomey and Ava McCarthy, with Lucy Green scoring Glanmire's other goal. It was a good all-round team performance with Annie McCarthy, Ava Carey, Claude O'Donovan, Ellen Murphy, Abby O'Mahony, Evie Toomey impressing for the winners. The pitch was heavy and difficult conditions on a day the referee decided to show six yellow cards across what was a competitive but not really a dirty game. Either way, Glanmire will now travel to Tipperary for their Munster Intermediate Football Championship semi-final against Bohorláhán Douala on October 28th. On to the domestic Cork LGFA season, which is reaching the final rounds across numerous grades over the next few weekends. Tyge McCorrig will face Rockbourne in Saturday's Cork LGFA Junior B County Final at MTU with a 3 o'clock throw-in. The West Cork Club overcame Carrigaline 2.18 to 3.12 after extra time to seal their county final berth against an inform Rockbourne who saw off Bosch Bishopstone in the last four. The Big Red Bench will provide live updates and all the reaction from what should be another cracking county final between Tyg MacCarrick and Rock Bond, the Junior B county final at Cork's MTU, 3 o'clock on Saturday. In the Junior C county grade, Mallow edged St. Peter's 14 points to 2-5 to qualify for this year's county final. Mallow will face the winners of this midweek's second semi-final between Aaron's Zone and Ballinora in the Junior C decider. Bandon will take on Yall in this year's Cork LGFA Junior E-County Final following a 1-16 to 1-4 defeat of Knocknagree last weekend. The Lilywhite scores came via Kate McLaughlin with 7 points, Laura Cummins won one Maeve O'Flynn 2 points, Niamh Sugru, Ava Long, Emma Tarrant, Jane Tarrant, Anne-Marie Troy and Hannah Buckley who each got a point. Yall edged Klein 1-9 to 1-7 in a cracking semi-final on the other side of the draw and those two teams, Bandon and Yall, should provide an outstanding junior E-County decider. West Cork Club, IBA ladies, also prepared for their adult Cork LGFA County final appearance with a semi-final 1-6 to 0-3 victory over Dripsy last weekend. Kira DC 1-1, Grace Tobin, 3 points, and Condon and Sarah Harrington, a point each, were on target for Ibane. Ball overcame Glanworth by a single point, 14 points to one ten, to set up a showdown with Ibane in the decider. Both the Cork LGFA Junior E and Junior F County finals are currently penciled in for Sunday, October 29th. A number of U sixteen Cork LGFA county finals were also completed last weekend. In the U sixteen A two decider, Middleton proved too strong for St. Michael's. Douglas overcame Berra four eleven to two seven in the U sixteen C final, Clanakilty edged Ballinora two four to one six in the U sixteen C county final, and Carrigaline defeated McCroom two seven to one four in the U sixteen C two decider. Earlier in the week, St. Falls and Dunamore served up a cracking under sixteen B county final in which St. Falls emerged four eleven to two eleven winners. That's all the roundup from this past week and weekend's Cork and Munster LGFA championships. We'll have all the action again uh, next weekend uh, with another review on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast and don't forget as we said on Saturday we'll be pitch side at Cork MTU for the County Junior C Final between Tygum McCorrigan and Rockbourne at 3 o'clock. Be sure to join us for that. (laughs)
0: Missed the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM.
1: AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran joined me on this week's Corks Red FM's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide his analysis, comment and expert coaching opinion on every single one of this past weekend's AFLW Round 6 games. Mike also gave the lowdown on each Irish player's performance following the latest weekend's action. We also preview the upcoming Round 7 matches as well as analysing the latest AFLW Irish player of the week and year standings okay it's one of my favorite times of the week again because i get to talk all things aflw with afl ireland expert and coach to the stars mike coran who is in the depths of west clare in the middle of a storm so hopefully he'll last throughout this entire segment but if not you'll know why mike first of all are you safe and how are you
9: safe and well Ger. just hopefully fingers crossed we get through this now with uh, if, the, if the 4g holds up we'll be okay
1: Good stuff. Let's crack on, because there's a lot to talk about. We started the Round 7 recap uh, last Friday, October the 13th. The Adelaide Crows putting up a score in the Western Bulldogs, 59-17. The Adelaide Crows Irish for the coming season, only of Kelly and Yvonne Bonner. But the Crows remain undefeated after a 42-point victory over the winless Bulldogs, Mike.
9: Yeah, the only undefeated team now after Round 7, Adelaide Crows absolutely flying As We predicted this last week that it wasn't going to be an easy night for the... The Bulldogs, and that's definitely how it turned out. Now, it was a, a fairly physical battle, in fairness, but Adelaide were well on top on this one. There was some bad news for them with an ACL injury to one of their young forwards, Abby Ballard. So um, that was some bad news to come out of the evening. But again, you know, strong midfield showing from their stars, Anna Hatchard and Ebony Marenhoff. But it was an Irish star, Neve Kelly, who stole the show in on this one. You know, Neve is having an absolutely storming season. She was brilliant here again at Norwood Oval. Uh, she has scored... I'm going to bet on the goal of the year already. I'm sure most people will have (laughs) seen it by now. If not, check it out on social. Absolutely phenomenal. Her speed and skill uh, in an amazing goal. But she had uh, 24 disposals for the night, six tackles, eight contested possessions, six inside 50s, best on ground. As I say, one of the the goals of the year. She was actually awarded best on ground by um, an indigenous artist, Patrick Frawley, and received a fantastic um, hand-carved award from Punu, uh, carvings as a result of that, well deserved, absolutely flying for Neve. Um, in terms of the other Irish, Yvonne Bonner didn't play this week. She injured her knee the previous round, but she's tracking well to come back in a, in another week or so. So I'll expect her back soon. So it's not too bad. She is missing a couple of games, but yeah, absolutely. The story of this one was Neve Kelly and the phenomenal she- season she's having so far.
1: Excellent. Great to hear Neve Kelly is continuing her consistency and the Adelaide Crows, pardon the pun, are absolutely flying. We move on to Saturday, October the 14th and the start of the Saturday slate of games with St Kilda defeating the Greater Western Sydney Giants. 48-35 St Kilda's lone Irish player this year on their roster is Grace Kelly. But it was their fourth win in a row for St Kilda, Mike, and that's the first time that's happened in their history.
9: It is, and the Saints go marching on, as they say. What a turnaround. They lost their first three games of the season. They've now won four on the bounce, as you've said there. So a total turnaround in the season for them. It was raining in this game, but the Saints got their signature handball game going to great effect, and they dominated the inside 50s, particularly early in the first and second quarters. Uh, GWS Giants have won all previous meetings between these two sides. But it was the Saints uh, with momentum, as you've said, that got another brilliant win there, four on a row on this occasion. They're bringing a high-energy game uh, and another important win. For GWS Giants, not only did they lose, they also lost one of their key players, uh, Alice Parker, who, has, who is out with a season-ending injury, I think an ankle that requires surgery. So uh, bad news all around for them on the night to lose one of their star young players. But yeah, a phenomenal turnaround for the Saints. Uh, that's four in a row for them.
1: Couldn't have put it better myself. The Saints go marching on. We move on now to the Geelong Cats, who had a 47-23 win over the Fremantle Dockers, known as Wallyoop by their Indigenous name for this particular round. The Irish Cats for the coming season, Rachel Kearns, Ashley Maloney and Anna Rose Kennedy. And the Dockers, Irish include Anya Teig, Orla Lally, Amy Mulholland and Joanne Craig. But it was the Geelong Cats who were back to their best. A 24-point win over Fremantle and they broke that unwanted run of recent losses, Mike.
9: Yeah, as you say, back to winning ways for the Cats after those two consecutive losses. So they'll be happy to to be back on, on track. And in, an emphatic win, uh, it could have been even more. You know, they scored uh, six goals and 11 behinds. Uh, so if they were more accurate up front, the scoreline could have been even higher. Irish star Ashley Minoni actually got four behinds on the night. So she was a bit off target on this one. But again, an incredibly exciting talent, you know, herself and it on the night, two of the tallest Irish AFLW players, absolutely dominant in the year, so it was very exciting to watch the two of those are, are across the game, Ong, oh, it was brilliant again, uh, for Fremantle Dockers, or for, for um, Geelong, we also had Rachel Kearns uh, back to her best as well. So we saw some of her trademark uh, big tackles and physicalness. And then as well as Anya Thay on the darker side, Anya scored a goal again, 17 disposals. We expect that from our weekend. We got now at this stage an absolute star. Orla Lally also had a very good game. She had 12 disposals and, and six tackles. And then the other Irish players also featuring Joanne Craig and Amy Monholland. Both of those um, did very well. but Both of them come off the ground with injuries, nothing major. So hopefully they're tracking back okay for next week. Uh, but yeah, in terms of Irish, this was the big one. Six Irish players in action uh, in this game. So a huge interest, but a very good win for Geelong Cats.
1: Indeed it was. We move on now to the Sydney Swans and the Haw- and Hawthorne and uh, a game they're won by the Hawks 40-26 to last weekend. The Irish at the Sydney Swans roster for the coming season, Jennifer Higgins, Paris McCarthy, Julio Sullivan and Tanya Kennedy, Aileen Gilroy and Annie McDonough are the Hawks Irish but it was Hawthorne who overcame a slow start to power past Sydney and clinched their second win of the season with a 14 point success Mike.
9: Yes, the Swans definitely started the better here in this one, and it really was the second half before Hawthorne really got going and came back into it, but they have held out for their second win the season. It was away in Sydney, so this is their first ever interstate win, so that definitely added to the celebrations for the Hawthorne, a great win to get on the road. The third quarter was where the Hawks really kicked on. They had three goals in that quarter. Uh, as I say, they beat the Swans last season as well, so that's two wins from two against Sydney Swans. But this one was on the road in front of four and a half thousand people at Henson Park, so a big win for Hawthorn. Aileen Gilroy, on from an Irish point of view, had her best game of the season today. So far, without question, she had eleven disposals, four tackles, was amongst uh, the best on ground. Anya McDonough put it on repeat, two goals again this weekend. You know, absolutely incredible scoring um, run here. She has now gone seven rounds scoring a, a goal or scoring in, in every round. It's never been done before. And she has nine goals in total for the season. So absolutely critical to uh, Hawthorne's uh, scoreboard pressure there. And brilliant to see that from Anya. And who's to bet on her stopping at this stage with only three rounds left to go. And then on the Swan side, we had Tanya Kennedy uh, featuring this year as well. But yeah, Hawthorne will be very happy to get that win. And as you say, their second win for the season.
1: Yeah, and let's hope Bonnie McDonough can keep up that record. It's fantastic. She really is one of the standout players, along with Aileen Gilroy for the Hawks this season and a good win for them over the Swans. We move on to the Gold Coast Suns, who fell to a 57-21 defeat to the Brisbane Lions. The Irish on the Brisbane Lions roster for the coming year, Orla Dwyer and Jennifer Dunn. Clara Fitzpatrick, Neve McLaughlin and Cara McCrossin are the Gold Coast Suns Irish, but it was Brisbane who maintained their dominance over the Suns with a hard-earned win. But Gold Coast still gave a good account of themselves in this one, Mike.
9: Today, you look at this, is the the Q clash, as they call it, up in Queensland, the Queensland Derby. There's a trophy um, to be won, so there's silverware, and, and and who doesn't want to win silverware at any stage of the season? But it was the Lions who continued their dominance. They've won every one of the Q clashes so far. This was the fourth edition of it. Uh, to be fair, you'd have to say that G- Gold Coast Suns have improved dramatically across the last few seasons. This was their best showing to date, but it, there's still a bit of a gap to be bridged between themselves uh, and the top teams such as Brisbane Lions but they're definitely having a, a much better season Brisbane won all four quarters here there were 17 points up at half time so Uh, it probably wasn't in doubt that that they were going to win we saw some massive highlights here a mark from Courtney Hother, who's one of the smallest but one of the most exciting forwards in the competition she had an outstanding mark again uh, we've mentioned a few highlights to check out if you haven't seen that go check that out it's sure to be there thereabouts for mark of the year as well but uh, job done for Brisbane Lions 36 point win Orlo Dwyer. as per usual, brilliant 22 disposal, two marks, two tackles all over the ground. And on this occasion, all three Irish sons featured Clare Fitzpatrick, uh, Neve McLaughlin, and Cara McCrossan. And of course, this is the first time that Irish players have featured for the, the Gold Coast Suns in the Q Clash. Um, no Irish players prior to this season, and three Irish players on the roster this season, and all featuring. But yeah, business as usual for the Brisbane Lions.
1: Yeah, Lion's going really well this year, but it's good to see that Clara Fitzpatrick, Neil McLaughlin, and Carmacross were exposed to this cute clash and all the drama that comes with it. Um, disappointment for the Suns, but they'll be looking to bounce back as soon as possible. We move on to the final game on the Saturday slate of games, where the Richmond Tigers fell to a 53 36 defeat to the Essendon Bombers at Icon Park in Melbourne. Essendon Irish this year, the lone player is Joanne Dunan, but it was Essendon who stayed in touch with the top four, Mike, ahead of a potential maiden finals appearance, but Richmond are starting to slip.
9: Unreal from Essendon. You know, there was no Irish players involved on the night. It was the Dreamtime game, but it's the stuff of dreams for Essendon. As you say, a 17-point win looking very solid now to be involved in their first Finals possibly even in the top four not to mind the top eight so it's an incredible uh, achievement for them if they make finals alone not to mind higher up the board this is only their second season um, remember as well an expansion club from last year so it was a brilliant night for the Bombers midfield who dominated uh, the clearance count throughout the game and I suppose that laid the foundations for a great win for them uh, and again a little bit of bad news on the injury front uh, one of their forwards Darren Barrister suffered a season ending ACL so that that's two again this weekend uh, you know the drafts the the ACL injuries which are far too prominent Uh, so that would be the only downside on it but yeah, fantastic for Essendon and Richmond are starting to slip down a little bit, you know, a lot of close games um, that they've come out on the wrong side of so um, it's Essendon that's riding high on the table after this one
1: it certainly is. And uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on the bombers as they continue their surge up the table. And hopefully, Richmond can arrest uh, that slide of recent times. We move to Sunday. And the first of the Sunday games on October the 15th were, was between the North Melbourne Kangaroos, the Informed Kangaroos, and Port Adelaide, known as Yartapulti by their indigenous name, 87 24 at Arden Street. The North Melbourne Irish, included on the day, are included in their roster this year. Ailish Considine, Niamh Martin, and Erica O'Shea, whose parents uh, and whose family are over there at the the moment, um, as well as we're following her on Instagram. But Mike North Melbourne produced its biggest ever score to win by sixty three points on on Sunday afternoon, and this is a team now to seriously our serious contenders,
9: without question. Jerry, you know a phenomenal score. Uh, they scored three, four, and five goals in the second, third, and fourth quarter to see them reach that highest ever score of 87 points and a 63-point winning margin at home at Arden Street. You know, absolutely dominant. Another masterclass from these star midfielders that we keep talking about. Astrid who was playing her 50th game with 35 disposals, and Jasmine Garner had 39 disposals. They had nine different goal scorers on the night, so they're really showing now that uh, they're a threat uh, from all over the ground. They dominated the possessions count, mainly due to the, the dominance of those midfield players, uh, on um, a count of 321 to 183. So that meant the scoreline just kept on growing and growing. You mentioned Eric O'Shea there. Yeah, we see John O'Shea decked head to toe in Melbourne Kangaroos gear. Of course. Fantastic. To, fantastic to see him back in Melbourne. You know, a celebrity around the club at Arden Street. Uh, I don't know, was it because John was there or not, but Eric O'Shea <laughs> definitely had her best game of the season yes. to date as well, which is fantastic to see. You know, she had 18 disposals, six marks, two tackles. She was amongst the best on ground for the Kangaroos. Um, Brilliant from her. And on the Irish side, then we had Neve Martin making her AFLW debut. So uh, a big milestone for her. Great to see her getting her debut there. And again, we saw a lovely moment where Neve was presented with her debut Guernsey by Eric O'Shea and some lovely words from Eric O'Shea there, who, of course, uh, lives with Neve in Melbourne and is a good friend of hers as well. So a big night for North Melbourne and a big night for the Irish Kangaroos.
1: Indeed, in a big week and night as well for the O'Shea's. Now that the uh, Erica's dad is over there, we'll be watching Instagram intently over the coming week because God knows where he'll end up if he doesn't end up refing <laughs> one of the games or umpiring them. He'll be involved at some stage. We move on to the second last game on the slate from the round seven games, and this is one was between the Carlton Blues and the Collingwood Magpies at Icon Park in Melbourne. We expected it to be close, and it was. Magpies coming out in top twenty seven ten this year's Carlton Blues Irish on their roster: Eroan Fitzpatrick and Daniel Finn, and the Collingwood Magpies Irish include Sarah Rowe and Ashling. Sher- but the Pies blasted the Blues early on and went on to replace their rivals in the top eight, Mike.
9: It was, and it was that blistering start by Collingwood. They scored three goals, two behinds to no score in that first quarter. That set them up for the win. You know, it was a tough, hard-fought, low-scoring contest in fairness, but intriguing to watch uh, Collingwood get the win there. That's three wins in a row now for Collingwood that sees their season back on track after they've had a few frustrating losses in the previous rounds, as you recall as well. Uh, so a good win for them. Uh, Collingwood and Carlton are traditional rivals and previously would have played in the opening round of AFLW for the last five or six seasons. So um, there's definitely a growing rivalry there. Uh, Collingwood take the honours this time around. From an Irish point of view, Sarah Rowe playing in her 50th game. Huge occasion, you know. Um, Sarah's been at Collingwood for six seasons, run out for her 50th game to huge tributes from all her teammates. Um Absolutely brilliant to see what she's achieved at Collingwood. You know, she really has set the standards around the club and amongst the group. Uh, so fantastic to see her reach that milestone and going, still going very strong. 18 disposals on the night, named amongst Collingwood's best on ground. We also saw Ashling Sheridan featuring in the, the forwards for Collingwood. And then on the Carleton side, we had Aaron Fitzpatrick, who's having a very steady season as well. 12 disposals, three marks, three tackles, and got on the scoreboard with two behinds. And Dana Finn also uh, featuring and proving to be a strong physical presence in the backline for Carlton. But yeah, uh, magpies get get uh, the chocolates as they sit on under in this one and uh, march up the table again and uh, head of Carrington actually
1: Yes, excellent stuff there, and it's good to see as well. Uh, Sarah, oh, I can't believe when you said it. There, Mike, six seasons. Where did those six seasons go? But what, a, what a warrior, what a player, um, and what, a, what a fantastic um, Irish export. Uh, hopefully, she will get the recognition on this side of the pond as well when the time comes later on. dear, when the awards are handed handed out, we finish our round seven slate with a game between the West Coast. I say a game, West Coast Eagles and the Melbourne Demons, known as Narm by their uh, Indigenous name. 82-12 to 12 to Melbourne. The West Coast Eagles-Irish for this season, uh, one player there, that's Ashley McCarthy, while the Demons-Irish includes Sinead McGoldrick, Blaheen Macken and Amy Mackin. But a statement of intense go, Mike. Um, Melbourne Demons in Perth winning, you know, putting a 70-point victory and now they put some level with North Melbourne near the top of the ladder. But this was, as I said, as as good as the Demons. If the Demons want to remind people that they're going to be there or thereabouts, this was the way to do it.
9: Definitely was, you know, it was a dominant display, a 70-point win. Uh, you, you feared this one was going to happen. Melbourne lost their only game in 15 games last week against Adelaide. This was the bounce back. Unfortunately, it, it was West Coast that bore the brunt of it on this occasion, but four goals in the first quarter and four goals, seven behinds, 11 scores in total in the third quarter. Saw them cruise to that dominant win. Um, and again, you know, it was Alyssa Brandon up front was the star of the show, kicking five goals. There's a number of team as players have kicked five goals this season you know it's rarely done but I think there's three or four of them at this stage and they have kicked five goals which is an absolutely phenomenal achievement up in Perth as well away from home Um, from the Irish point of view we saw Amy Macken kicking her first AFLW goal so delighted to see that she's been close uh, to getting a goal across the last few games and she loved that uh, as a forward and another brilliant display by her sister Blyan as well 20 disposals four tackles Um, you know um, phenomenal season she's having as well and of course The old reliable Sinead Goldrick, uh, 14 disposals off half back there. So the Irish demons are all flying. The Melbourne demons are absolutely flying. You know, and there was a bit of controversy after this one due to some comments from the West Coast Eagles coach, uh, which is making all the headlines um, in terms of the the fixtures and that. But that doesn't make any excuses, really. You know, Melbourne were looking absolutely fierce and uh, back on track from that defeat uh, the previous round.
1: And how, as you predicted last week, they would come back and God help the team was going to play them. Unfortunately, it was the West Coast League. 82-12. And great here, Sinead Goldrick, blind Mackin and Amy Mackin are also making a big impact there, the Irish players at the Melbourne Demons. That rounds up um, all of what occurred in Round 7. It was a very, very interesting and some big headlines coming out of it. What it all means is in the current... AFLW ladder the Adelaide Crows at the top 100% record 7 games 7 wins out in front but they are being chased down 4 points behind by the North Melbourne Kangaroos who've won their last 3 games and the bounce back from the Melbourne Demons as we just outlined there both of those teams on 24 points then the Brisbane Lions and the Essendon Bombers on 20 points followed by 6th place Geelong Cats Gold Coast Suns Collingwood rounding up the top 8 they're all in 16 points and then the win percentage just below that value the Carlton Blues and St Kilda still in and around the uh, top eight positions. We'll be hoping to kick on St. Kilda, especially now on a run of four successive wins. They're also on 16 points. Further down the table, the Richmond Tigers, as we've outlined three losses in a row, had them uh, in 11th place on Uh, 12 points alongside the Sydney Swans, Um, and Hawthorne are are also down in 14, they're struggling down towards the end, and then we've got a bunch of clubs on four points, including the Giants and the Eagles, and also, of course, unfortunately, the Western Bulldogs yet to pull off a point in this year's championship, but it's getting very, very tight at the top, and with that in mind, we're going to list for you the upcoming Round 8 matches, over the coming weekend then they will get Mike to pick the ones that he wants to talk about the most it starts on Friday October the 20th 14th place Hawks t- uh, taking on the eleven place Tigers um, on Friday night in Cairns and then on Saturday we've got the Western Bulldogs taking on the Sydney Swans the Brisbane Lions and the Adelaide Crows that should be interesting With Brisbane Fort Adelaide way out in front as we said the Giants will be looking for a victory at the expense of the Blues and then we've also got Port Adelaide who are taking on the uh, Gold Coast Suns uh, and the last game on Saturday and what a game this promises to be Melbourne third against the North Uh, Melbourne Kangaroos uh, who are in second place at Icon Park in Melbourne we're expecting a, a, a pretty big one there uh, to put it mildly so those Saturday games should be uh, an awful lot to look forward to and also let's not forget the games on Sunday where the Collingwood Madpies take on the Geelong Cats that will be a close one eight versus six in Melbourne then we've got Fremantle Dockers taking on St Kilda and we round off uh, the round eight games with Essendon and the West Coast Eagles going head to head Mike of those games what are the ones that leap out at you the most?
9: again, it's easy to pick the top two games this round Mm. for sure. And it's literally those top of the table clashes, starting with Saturday there, Brisbane Lions versus Adelaide Crows. This is going to be an absolute cracker. Position one versus position four, Crows undefeated so far. These two teams played each other in the preliminary final last season. And I was lucky enough to be at that game up in um, Brisbane. This this time, it's back at Brighton Homes Arena in Brisbane. Um, Both these teams are are really pushing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Crows are unbeaten, so this will be a bit of a a test for Brizzy, who've had a few unexpected losses across the season. But yeah, this is a mouthwatering clash. Top of the table, as I say, uh, Brisbane got over the Crows in the big game last year in the preliminary final. Uh, Crows will want to make amends for that. Really excited to see that one. And coincidentally, the other big game is Melbourne versus North Melbourne, which was also the preliminary final last year. Which So it's interesting that the two preliminary final rematches are coming up in round eight. I was at that game as well at Icon Park. And, you know, Melbourne went on to win that and win the premiership. In that particular game, North Melbourne had 11 inside 50s in the last quarter, any score would have got them over the line. They just couldn't do it. You felt they were missing a few key tall forwards. They seem to have plugged the holes in terms of that with the likes of Kate Shearlaw coming in and having a great season. Talia Randall up front, a tall forward scoring five goals in the last round. Emma King, they've got the talls. So this is going to be an exciting game without question. And these teams are all battling now. You know, you think they're going to be there or thereabouts for the top four. They're really battling for the top two. It's now getting tactical. They'll want to have home preliminary finals and home finals and stuff like that. And potentially down the line, home grand final. So there is a lot on the line on each of these, uh, every game, but these two games in particular. Uh, and then if you look to the rest of the games, I suppose a couple of the games on Sunday would have definite interest. Collingwood versus Geelong, huge Irish interest in this one. Collingwood are on that three in a row win and, Equally, Fremantle versus St. Kilda, huge Irish interest. We said the Saints are marching on. We'll see will they march on again. they have four in a row. Will they make it five? Every game now, we've only three rounds left. Every game is absolutely critical in terms of getting into that top eight. And that's where every club wants to be at the end of the home and away season, in the finals positions. And a a result, not to mind the result, a goal could change uh, where you sit on that table because the percentage is so tight. So, yeah, another intriguing round ahead.
1: Absolutely intriguing run. the storylines everywhere, but those two particular games, rerun of last year's preliminary finals, as you said, lots, lots to look forward to, and that and look forward to reviewing them with you on next week's Big Red Bench. But we finish our weekly AFLW segment with our resident AFLW expert, Mike Grant, here on the Big Red Bench every week with the look at the AFLW Irish Player of the Year standings. So, how did round seven work out in terms of a winner, and how are the overall standings looking, Mike, after the latest yeah. slate of games?
9: Oh. Okay, so for round seven, Neve Kelly, Irish Player of the Year for round seven. Absolutely outstanding. As we said, we mentioned it there earlier in the feature. She was brilliant again. She, she's been best on ground for Adelaide a couple of times this season. She's won the Player of the Year a couple of rounds. She's having her best season yet and absolutely loving life at Adelaide and it's fantastic to see that because she missed most of last season with a very bad shoulder injury so we're now seeing that when she's fit and injury free she's absolutely lethal a few new names again we always like to see new names featuring in, in the, the the top seven Eric O'Shea is up in second this week after her best performance we mentioned that whether it's the influence of John or not she was brilliant uh, Aileen Gilroy had her best game she's up in third and then Blion Mackin Orlo O'Dwyer, your tie, the usual suspects, and we had Orla Lally featuring again this year, so great to see Orla back playing well. And in terms of the overall Irish player of the year then, after round seven, Sarah Rowe is still in front with 540 points, but Neve Kelly is tagging close behind her with 530 points, mm-hmm. so less than 2% in it, uh, and these two are going head-to-head. Then you have a few points back to Ash Mac on 500, Orlo O'Dwyer on 485, Anya Thai, 470. Blyan Macken, 350. Anya McDonough, 335. Uh, so it's an intriguing uh, countdown to the Irish Player of the Year as well. It seems to be Sarah Rowe versus Neve Kelly as well with three rounds left to go. And we also get a lot of people asking us how does the, the longer list look outside of the top seven. So just to expand on that a bit mm-hmm. this this week as we're getting closer to the end. The next on the list at number eight is Aileen Gilroy, Sinead Goldrick, Ashling Sheridan, Eric O'Shea, Aaron Fitzpatrick. So... All um, all fantastic players up in the top 10 or 11 there. But yeah, there's nothing in it at the top. Same as the AFLW ladder. It's the same situation for the Irish player of the year.
1: And going to be just as exciting right up to the very end. And I can't wait to see all that pans out. But at the moment, as you said, Sarah, just about out in front. Uh, but plenty of suitors uh, are coming close behind her at the moment. Um, as ever, uh, we've rounded up round seven. We've previewed round eight. We've looked at the ladder. And we've looked at the AFLW Irish Player of the Year standings uh, on here on the big red bench. Delighted once again to have a resident AFLW expert and coach to the stars, Mike Cran with us. Mike, thanks a million, buddy. And we'll talk to you again next week.
0: Chat next week, Jared. Looking forward to it. The Big Red Bench. Game on. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m.
1: Monster Women's Hockey Piero Graham Catchball is back on the Big Red Bench to review the latest rounds of the 2023 24 Monster Women's Hockey season. Graham provides results and scores from all the recent Women's EY1 and Women's Monster Division 1 games involving Monster teams. Graham and I also look ahead to this weekend's Monster Women's Hockey standout matches. Now it is time for our weekly look at all things, all things Munster women's hockey. And there's only one person to turn to for that. And that is the Munster hockey PRO, Graham Catchwell, who rejoins us here on Cork Shred FM's big red bench. Graham, how are you?
4: Good, Jaron, yourself?
1: Not too bad. We're asking each of our guests this week uh, their reaction to the uh, Ireland and New Zealand uh, result performance, World Cup odyssey. Um, I don't know if you were watching or not, but uh, your, your immediate reactions, were there tears? Was there, or, or how were how you? Because I was just, I had my head buried in a cushion sitting on the couch, but anyway.
4: Yeah, very, very disappointed for them. Um, felt like they kind of left it there a small bit, um, particularly when, when New Zealand were down to, to fourteen men mm. to, to be I suppose losing that part of the game three zero, I'd say they'll be they'll be kicking themselves over that. Um, yeah, so very tough one to to take and very tough one to watch at the end.
1: It was, but we've had some good times. It's been a great run with this particular management team and with this particular group and Johnny Sexton and a few others heading off into the sunset, well, heading off into the TV studio sunset, I should probably say. But um, a <laughs> uh, 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 disappointing end, but very, very good memories, I think, to take from it and from the last couple of years. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Munster women's hockey. And we start this week's roundup with a positive result for Catholic Institute in the Women's EY1.
4: Yeah, good results on the road uh for for Catholic Institute this weekend uh coming away with a two all draw against the the Ulster Elks in, in up in Belfast. So, always tough to to I suppose travel to 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 the north and get get some kind of results. So, they should be happy with that, I suppose. It puts them in a mid-table position at the moment um with look plenty of uh, plenty of interesting games coming up.
1: They have some, uh, as you said, plenty of interesting games, a two-all draw on the road. But this, am I right, th- th- this is a particularly a uh, quality field this year. Like you look at Loretto and Railway Union out in front, not having dropped a point. Pembroke, Arabe, Strong there in third place. Catholic Institute are holding their own in mid-table, you know, the, there's no cause for concern. But like this is, I think for people who wouldn't be aware of the women's EY1 and the quality we're talking about, to be holding your own in this particular league, is it too cliché to say it's an achievement in itself?
4: It, it, it is and, and and I think particularly this season um, there seems to be a bit of a shake up I suppose just in terms of you know, a couple of players moving around the clubs and um, Institute will have lost one or two players that they probably just haven't um, been able to to replace So, um, but the, the results are just so close if you look at the, the results week in week mm-hmm. out it's one goal differences pretty much uh, the majority of the time so um, some very very close matches out there Excellent
1: stuff to Catholic Institute. Good point on the road as we said away up in Ulster 2-all draw um, on the women's EY1. We turn our attention now to the women's Munster Division 1 which is getting just as interesting at the top of the table because the two teams out in front continue their excellent early season form. Graham.
4: Yeah, Harlequins and UCC look like the the two to catch again this season. Um, three from three uh, uh, wins for for both clubs um, uh, so far this season. Um, last weekend, um, UCC beat uh, newcomers Crescent two nil. Uh, Michaela Sanderson and uh, Nikki Barry with the goals there. Um, and then the the previous Thursday, um, uh, the Harlequins beat uh, Black Rock six one. Uh, Bethan O'Farrell with with a hat trick in that one, so she continues her strong form at, at the start of the season. Um so yeah it's, it's it's looking like it's a two horse race at the moment. Um with the, with the chasing pack looking to to try and keep up but uh, at the moment it looks like it's going to be Harlequins or, or UCC this year.
1: Yes, it certainly does maximum points from three rounds as you said at the top of the Munster Women's Division 1 League. Ashton Waterford Blackrock and uh, Ashton Waterford and Blackrock each on three points and uh, potentially an opportunity to to make up ground, but you would imagine Graham one of the top two was going to have to drop points for that to occur.
4: Yeah, you you would think so and, and look, there, there's some interesting fixtures ahead this weekend. Um so Church of Ireland hosts UCC which has always been a, a very closely uh, fought fought match. Um, Harlequins will will travel to newcomers Crescent and and Crescent have proven this year already that they can they can mix it with the 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 rest. Um, in the other fixtures, then Black Rock and Ashton is a, a very local rivalry, um, in, you know, in, in, in the Black Rock area, so that that'll be a very good game as well. And and um, Waterford then host Bandon in the other match, which has been a, a a close one over the years as well. So so some very interesting fixtures um, the, for this week ahead, I suppose.
1: There is indeed lots to look forward to and what is becoming, as was last season, a very interesting league. Uh, two arch race at the minute, Cork Cardigans and UCC out in front, nine points apiece, but lots to play for in very, very early days. We turn our attention now, Graham, to the Women's Irish Hoc- Hockey Trophy in the opening round and some uh, not some positive results, unfortunately, but some good performances on the Munster teams nonetheless.
4: Yeah, so there was three teams in action, in action um, uh, across the province, um, hosting teams from, from Dublin in the north. Um, so Church of Ireland women were, were the were the team that came out on top, I suppose, um, in, in their uh, match with OMA. So they won uh, won their home match uh, 1-0 to get through to the next round. Holly Moffat with the goal there. Um, unfortunately for Ashton and Bandon, they're, 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 they won't be proceeding in this competition this year. Um, Ashton losing at home 2-0 to Portran. And, uh, Bandon losing, uh, at home as well, uh, 2-1 to, to Mosley. Um, so disappointing for those two clubs, but great to see, um, Church of Ireland get through to the. Next round.
1: Indeed and well done to Church of Ireland. Uh, narrow victory as we said there over OMA in the opening round of the Women's Irish Hockey Trophy. As you've already alluded to the big fixtures coming up in the Munster Division 1 league uh, over the coming weekend plenty to look forward to there with possibly Blackrock and Ashton the pick of those ones but in EY1 Catholic Institute travelled to Pembroke Wanderers and Pembroke are currently lying in third place. They're behind the two runaway leaders at the moment Loretto and Railway Union who have yet to drop points with on maximum points, 12 points each. We wish Catholic Institute all the best there and keep Track of all the Munster hockey teams throughout the weekend. Some of their uh, most clubs know that I follow across social media are very, very good with scores, with, and they're getting much, yeah. very, getting very entertaining as well in some of the uh, yeah. Instagram posts. And it's great to see that, Graham, because this gets the word out um, about the sport.
4: Absolutely, I mean, it, it, it's really important, I suppose, for clubs to to to, I suppose, show the fixtures that are ahead, so people can go out and watch the matches. Um, we've been doing it for for a good number of seasons now in in, in monster hockey in, in, in the Instagram and the Facebook um, and uh, Twitter, and uh, but it's great to see you know the clubs um, putting so much content out there now and really promoting the matches. So yeah, let long may that continue
1: yes indeed entertaining content too I must say some interesting posts yep. I'll leave it at that uh, some interesting and funny ones as well <laughs> um, we finish up this weekend we've already looked at the top tables in both the Munster Division 1 and uh, in the EY1 leagues but in these goal table which is of a lot of interest uh, both players and supporters there are a clutch of players on two goals apiece I'm not going to all of them, but Anna Farrell Naomi Karen Ivana Byrne Isabel Martin and Zara Lowry um, are on two goals each then you've got Abby O'Mahony from UCC Faye Graham from Crescent Michelle Barry from Harlequins Michaela Sanderson from UCC and Emily O'Leary from Ashton all on three goals apiece and then the top three Nikki Barry for UCC she's managed four goals already this season Olivia Roycroft from Bandon whose name keeps popping up she's on five but out in front following her hat-trick yet again this weekend Harlequins' Beth Anne O'Farrell who's having a terrific season and uh, seems to be enjoying her hockey an awful lot she's out in front on eight but we know that this goal scorer's table can change very quickly Graham but it's good to see such a, a spread of teams as well even at this early point
4: yeah, no, it is um look at the, this this table will undoubtedly um change throughout the course of the season um but it's um it, it, it you know it's tight it, it's even tight at this point good to see um a couple of players there with, with more goals than games played already so um uh look I'm, I'm sure Bethan O'Farrell is 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 definitely the one to beat again this year um so let's see if um any of the pretenders can uh, step up to the mark over the coming weeks.
1: Indeed we'll be keeping a close eye on that we'll probably have to get Beth Ann on at some point as well onto the podcast just while she's top of the table as well so she can gloat a little bit about it but for now (laughs) uh, that's your Munster Women's Hockey of course as we always say keep track of everything Munster Women's Hockey across the Munster Women's Hockey social media and website throughout the week and the individual clubs as well great content being pumped out but for this week here on Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench for the latest roundup we say thank you very much to Graham Catchball and we will talk to you again next week
0: Thanks Joe. The Big Red Bench (laughs) We'll be right back. right <laughs> back. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Corks
1: Red FM's resident Formula 1 expert Sarah Mackenzie Foley joins me on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide analysis, comment and her expert preview of this weekend's Austin Grand Prix. Sarah also looks back at the past week's Formula 1 headlines, including rumours of Sergio Perez possibly retiring from Formula 1, the FIA targeting Lewis Hamilton's track walk incident and much, much more. Okay, it's that time of the week again here on Corks Red FM's Big Red Bench where we talk all things Formula 1. So there's only one person to turn. To and that is Corks Red FM's resident Formula One expert, Sarah Mackenzie Foley. Sarah, welcome back to the show. How are you?
10: Thank you. Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm I'm slowly getting over the, emo- the emotional turmoil of, of the Ireland loss this weekend. So it's nice to not be talking about that. <laughs> yeah, there's
1: been quite a lot of therapy online and on the radio and, and oh. on TV since then. That a magical, two magical matches uh, for the armchair viewer, obviously, but not the result Ireland were looking for. But yeah, I saw I saw your pain on Instagram, right? A picture, picture paints a thousand words and it was a, an emotional roller coaster, I think, trademarked that night. But um, we move on again. They know this Irish team will have to, you know, transition and become something else in the coming months and years. In the interim, there's a small matter of finishing off the Formula one season. Now, although we already knew and know who the world champion was and is, three time champion Max Verstappen of uh, Red Bull Racing, there is some news about his teammate, Sergio Perez. And what is that? And uh, some unusual news, actually, and something that kind of took me aback. Sarah, can you explain?
10: Yeah, so Christian Horner confirmed that he was going to be having a sit down with Sergio Perez after the Qatar race weekend about his situation within that Red Bull team, given obviously the poor run of form that he's been having, but also, frankly, the strange decisions that he's been making at times, trying to overtake, etc. So. There was two reports kind of emerged from the aftermath of that conversation. One which suggested that Paris has been told that if he doesn't hold on to P2 in the Drivers' Championship this year at any point or by the end of the season, that he's immediately going to be replaced by Daniel Ricciardo. And that would obviously then leave the door open for Liam Lawson to take the Terry seat on a permanent basis. And then the second report was that Sergio Perez and his team have decided to take back control of the narrative. So they're not going to allow essentially Red Bull to make that decision and kind of control how Perez is going to end his career. And they are, that's where the piece has come out about potentially he's going to retire at his home Grand Prix, which is sandwiched in the middle of a kind of three back to back race weekends that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. And I think, to be quite honest, I think there's a strong possibility both of those reports are correct. I think it's obvious to everyone that Perez is no longer the right driver to have in that second seat. And on the other side of things, he doesn't want this to be the way that he goes out, you know, being kicked out of that seat and replaced. So I wouldn't blame him if he did decide to to take back that control and just say, look, it's, it's earlier than I would have liked to finish up. But I want to be in control of, of how this ends.
1: Yeah, it strikes me as the, the PR and the media and the Pérez, Checo Pérez team, correctly, as you've pointed out they're taking control of a situation that has not yet materialised. But looking at the driver's standing, as we already know, Max is way out in front. Pérez has 224 points heading into the last few Grand Prix's. Lewis Hamilton, the Mercedes, uh, has 194. Alonso and the Aston Martin, even though he hasn't really featured much in the top four, or mm-hmm. five, 183. Carlstein's tuner's on 153. So it's not beyond the realm of the possibility that he could be overtaken. Um, exactly. Is this just... Christian Horner and Red Bull's easy way out.
10: I think in a way yes because either situation like whether Perez leaves of his own volition or whether they have to replace him I think they're happier with him not in that seat to be quite honest. So I think yes it it really from their point of view even though Daniel Ricardo was technically untested in that car outside of the sim they still seem to have enough confidence in him that they would be willing to put him in that seat. And obviously, given that he's been given a second chance, a huge second chance with that team, he's not going to be trying to put any sort of fight up to Max Verstappen, you know what I mean? He's just going to sit quietly and earn his points and, and you know, not be, not be a pushover, but he won't race against Max. I don't believe that he will
1: no and I don't think I think I, I, we all know what might happen if he did do something untoward or unexpected <laughs> with Max and where he'd end up <laughs> interesting uh, news item to look at over the last couple of weeks I did not expect this I just figured Checo mm-hmm. Perez realised he knew where he was he knew what had happened he knew how consistent he was he's not silly he's not stupid he's well paid um, but he's in a car clearly with the, the world champion who's shown that you know one and two most weekends should be the result considering the consistency of the design and, and mm-hmm. just the domination so I get where Red Bull are coming from I just the timing of it and maybe as you mentioned there which I hadn't uh, uh, that's why you're the expert I hadn't picked up on the fact that his home Grand Prix was coming up if you want to write the narrative retire go off and do NASCAR, IndyCar or something and then come back again in a year's time it it would possibly suit him Um, and whether he even wants to race next year in the Mm. number two seat knowing he's not going to be world champion I get it exactly The timing is interesting, though, and as ever, it will fit in nicely to the uh, Netflix series of this particular series season. I think they'll be looking for a few more. Uh, Another interesting news item that might stretch into the next couple of weeks. Coming back, we'll go back to the Qatar Grand Prix, and it looks like there's going to be a re-review of an incident involving your beloved Sir Lewis Hamilton. Can you uh, explain why, Sarah Mackenzie Foley?
10: Yeah, so I'm sure listeners of the podcast will remember uh, in Qatar what happened between George and Lewis at Turn 1 and Lewis did walk across the track in order to get to an escape road after that incident while the cars were still following behind the safety car. Now, he broke regulation because he didn't ask a marshal's permission to go across the track and he was investigated by the stewards at the time. They confirmed he was very apologetic at the hearing Ultimately, he was handed a fine of €50,000 with half of that being suspended based on a promise that he wasn't going to do anything else like that for the rest of the year. But the FIA announced over the weekend they're going to be conducting a second review of the incident. And I'll quote their reasoning verbatim to avoid any confusion. They said, however, in view of his role model status, the FIA is concerned about the impression his actions may have created on younger drivers. And obviously, there's been fairly widespread concern about that phrasing. Um, Unfortunately, I think this isn't the first time that we've seen him targeted by the FIA. It was just actually this time last year. He had the ridiculous jewellery saga, which we're all still trying to forget. (laughs) But I think what's really troubling here is that the FIA are suggesting that they're going to police different drivers differently based on their status. And we just can't have that in any kind of sport. We really, it's not sport anymore if you start to do that. And it's just, you know, Lance Troll, Lance Troll shoved his trainer at the same race. Does he deserve a second review for being, you know, not behaving in, in the way of a role model? It, he isn't going to get one but
1: Hamilton is. That's a very good point. You can't police a sport that, in that manner, but this is the FIA and it's F1 and we know well enough at this stage that you know uh, rules are meant to be broken and bent depending on the influence and the politicking that goes on behind the scenes that we don't see. If a knight of the realm, of the British realm, is uh, fined 50,000 and 25,000 suspended, I know they're looking at it again because I think the negative feedback probably has affected them. Let's just for one second, hypothetically, say Max Verstappen walked down that crossed that track without asking anybody do you think for a second they wouldn't wait and fine him or or, ba- or or impose a ban on him considering his outburst even if he is the world champion or not I think they would and I think this is a very very dangerous road to, pardon the pun, to go down if you are not treating all drivers equally some are more equal than others I get it some are challenging for titles some are not but you can't have that surely Sarah I mean they'll make themselves a laughing stock and have they not backed themselves FIA into a corner now
10: Completely. And let's be honest, in the last, I mean, 18 months at the very least, they've made so many Mm. of these questionable decisions and statements, and it is becoming embarrassing, to be quite honest. And it's even stranger that they're targeting Hamilton, because there was a report just came out that their numbers have dipped massively, particularly on social media, since Abu Dhabi 2021. And to target the person who is, you know, alongside Max and a lot in a lot of ways, particularly in America, gathers the largest audience for your sport, why would you target him? Why would you single him out? It just, it doesn't make sense on any level, but it really is embarrassing.
1: It, exactly. And you've summed it up very succinctly as ever there. It is embarrassing. And I think maybe it was a slow news week and somebody decided just to leap on this, but um, they should have done it in the first place. They should have just gone with what they had said, broken the rules, we've accepted your apology and we're going to ban you, but we do the exact same for every other driver and this wouldn't even have been a story. No, it's a big deal. And now there's going to be even more column inches uh, from the F1 uh, journalists saying, well, if this is, as I just said, if I gave the example of Max and Max got a ban, we'd all be hearing about it. So this one's going to rumble on again for a few weeks, which is mm-hmm. great news for us it's an extra thing to talk about but this weekend we have a very very exciting Grand Prix to look forward to it is the 2023 Austin Grand Prix in the United States last year at the Circuit of the Americas Max Verstappen came home and took all 25 points but Lewis Hamilton came in second with the Mercedes, Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari, uh, Sergio Perez in the Red Bull and then the two McLarens uh, before Fernando Alonso rounded out the top seven. This is an unusual track, Sarah, as how I describe it in that, depending on the conditions, depending on the and like the tyres are going to be huge here, as they have been, mm-hmm. un- unfortunately, over the last two races. I'm not going to ask you to predict the outcome because we know who's going to win it. But the rest of the field now with so many, so few Grand Prix left, this is a real opportunity for drivers to stake a claim and possibly get a podium between here and the end of the season.
10: Absolutely. And I think, aside from the folks that you mentioned from last year's results, I think you can add certainly Carlos Sainz in there. I think he's been obviously, you know, unfortunately, he wasn't able to run previously, but I think he'll be even more keen to get back out on track and competing after that. And certainly the two McLarens are going to be very dangerous. Um, I'm curious to see what happens with Mercedes. They're bringing a modified floor upgrade for the weekend, but it's more being used as a litmus test of whether they're headed in the right direction for the 2024 car. So I I would kind of, I would look at that with, you know, not too much excitement. I think, as you said, the hope here is that regardless of whether Max streaks away in front or not, we're going to get a race from from the rest of the folks behind, and I think that's definitely possible. And if not, we'll have all the cheesy celebrity fueled endorsement based uh, entertainment. I mean, they had a little cool day last year. I don't know.
1: I'm still not over that. That was so exciting.
10: Yeah, yeah, I really. I just can't wait to see what is going to happen.
1: Well, I can tell you the Beckhams are going to be there because they have a Netflix series out at the moment and they want to be co-promoting the Messi one that's coming out in, uh, on Apple. So I know he's going to be there, Beckham, because, you know, he, he hates, he shuns the limelight, but he'd probably turn up. Um, interesting about McLaren. They are still in fifth place. They're, they're, they're only 11 points if my arithmetic is horrifically wrong behind Aston Martin in the manufacturers. Surely you'd be trying everything possible to finish top four and ahead of Aston Martin or is this now an acceptance We know our season's over. Or is that, am I reading too much into it?
10: No, I think they will. I think McLaren are going to be, I think they're going to push really, really hard until the end of the race. Because as we've mentioned before on the podcast, there's a lot, an awful lot of funding. There's an awful lot of financial gain based on where you finish in the Constructors' Championship. So I think they're definitely not going to take their foot off the pedal at any stage, particularly with their two drivers being so feisty and so keen to to get on the podium and get a win so I think if anything it might just be that that would get in their way potentially the intra-team situation that we've talked about before but no I think they're going to be a, a big threat
1: Yes let's hope so and let's hope it's a good Grand Prix it certainly has the track uh, and the history and uh, a lot going on as we said further down the track uh, aside from Max Verstappen coming on the constructors as well to be secured uh, we finished this week's F1 uh, segment with uh, news of the finale of the Formula 1 Academy sir.
10: Yes. So I want to give this a quick mention because the F1 Academy is going to be running as an official sport race at the Grand Prix for the first time this weekend. And it's their season finale. And it's the first time that any of their racing is going to be broadcast live, which people have been shouting for since the very beginning. So in addition to all that, the title winner is actually going to be decided this weekend. The top three drivers are technically all in with a chance. So there's a huge amount to, to play for there. And I'm just delighted that they're getting broadcast as well.
1: Excellent, so we'll talk about that as well as a review and a debrief of the Austin Grand Prix which takes place this weekend on Sunday the 23rd of October Um, or no, not the 23rd sorry, it's it's, it's this Sunday by day, it's Road to Sink. um, and we will review that and everything that happened on and off the track on next week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast with our resident Corkshire FM former One expert Sarah Mackenzie Foley but for this week thanks very much Sarah for joining us
10: Thanks sir.
0: Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM.
1: Resident rugby expert Wendy Keenan joined me on this week's Corks Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to review the Ireland senior women's team's huge win in Dubai, the latest women's AIL season results involving Munster Club's UL Bohemians and Ballin College, and news of the Munster Women's Open Cup. Plus, we have a preview of the new Munster Youths girls under 18, 16 and 14 leagues that begin this weekend. Now it is that time of the week again here on Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench where we talk all things women's rugby. Obviously the men's rugby headlines and tears and tantrums have been dominating the headlines for the last 24 hours for Ireland's heroic exit from the World Cup. But there's so much going on both uh, out foreign and domestically when it comes to Irish women's rugby and Munster women's rugby. So there's only one person to turn to and that's our resident rugby expert, Wendy Keenan. Wendy, how are you?
11: I'm great, Sarah. How are you keeping?
1: I'm not too bad. It uh, would be remiss of me not to ask you your your emotions and feelings at the full time whistle of the Irish lost to New Zealand, because our Formula One contributor Sarah McKenzie was uh, was talking about it. Heartbreaking, but they they died with their boots on.
11: Oh, absolutely. But I suppose my heart goes out to the players. They put so much into this. You know, if there were ever there was an opportunity, you'd think that if they got through Saturday to get to mm-hmm. that final, you know, it was inevitable. And, you know, with a very good chance now, France after being beaten. But look, not their night, nice. you know, set pieces were probably, you know, didn't work for them on the night. One or two decisions didn't go their way, maybe. But, um, you know, maybe they could have taken their points instead of kicking for the corner once or twice at the start. But I am just gutted for them.
1: Yes, the entire nation shares your feelings. Uh, it was very, uh, for cracking game of rugby but just not the result and the outcome we were hoping for from this particular World Cup but um, disappointment yes but a, a very very proud uh, and another really effective performance under you know this particular management team I know there's changes coming and the fact that Johnny Sexton and a few others are going to step away but it's been a terrific run not just over the last couple of weeks but over the last couple of years for Irish rugby it's raised the profile and being number more in the world I don't know if it means anything when you get to a World Cup but it certainly meant a lot to the players and the supporters and supporters as well who did themselves fantastic with their uh, being over in France, unlike uh, some of the English supporters that we saw this past week. Anyway, now that the men's uh, journey has come to an end, the Irish women are still very, very, uh, Irish international women's team are still very, very much in action, Wendy, and got off to a fantastic start in the Middle East recently.
11: Yeah, 109 uh, points scored against Kazakhstan last weekend. I mean, what a phenomenal score. 17 tries, I believe. Mm -hmm. The most that's ever been scored in a full test men or women for the Irish squad so like that's a great achievement in itself and you know when we link it into the men people are saying what are they going to do for the next two weekends well you have matches to watch you know we've got the women playing uh, Columbia next Saturday 2 o'clock Irish time that's live stream so we'll be able to do that look there's no doubt about it you know with the impact of the Sevens players coming back in Eve Higgins been one of them made a huge contribution four tries as well as one or two of the other girls um, back into the squad you know adding that speed that dynamic um You know, it's been really positive and we just wish them the best of luck. Have to take into consideration this is Tier 3. For the people that don't understand, we're Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3. We didn't reach Tier 2 like we had hoped we would. So we're now playing Tier 3. So with that comes the lower level of opposition that they're playing against.
1: Yes, and as you said there, the hundred nine zero 0 scoreline speaks for itself. I mean, Kazakhstan are obviously a very weak nation when it comes to international women's rugby. They're in the early formative years of that and they will get better as time goes on. But the likes of Bevian Parsons and Eva Higgins running in four tries each and this Irish team wanting to put a marker down under their new manager as well. Very, very important. They will face, as you said, uh, Colombia, who um, are also uh, got off to a good start because... Uh, beating Fiji 67-13 uh, last weekend. So those, And we will highlight those games as the week, as the time goes on because they are live, as you said, on YouTube. But it's an opportunity for young boys and girls to see the Irish women's team in action um, on the back of the men's. Obviously, uh, much more uh, high profile, but this Irish team is on a rebuilding phase and we need to get out of Tier 3 and into Tier 2. And we've taken the first possible positive uh, step in doing that. Now, let's turn our attention to the Energy All-Ireland League Women's Division Round 4 and the two Munster teams had a very positive weekend, Wendy.
11: Yeah, all good news again this week, which is great to report. We'll start with you, elbows. Four wins from four matches. They'll be delighted, comprehensive, and I suppose expected win over Cook being bottom of the table. There were tries from Beth Bottomer, Eva McCormack. Chisholm had 2 Brianna Hellman had 2 Eva Corrie had 2 Myrna Wall scored and Kate Flannery had 6 conversions so that was a final score of 57-5 so they'll be absolutely delighted with that and then um, another win for Ballincollig. that's 3 from 4 which you know we've been covering them over the la- since they've gone to the, the women's mm-hmm. AIL so they'll be absolutely delighted with their start to the season the scores for um, Ballincollig were Kira Fleming Eva Fleming and Sinead O'Reilly and uh, so after 4 rounds UL Bowes have made moved to the top spot in the league with 20 points and Ball and Collig have moved to the fourth um, with 15. Points. So I should have mentioned college just won by a 18-17 against Wicklow. Um but look, we're we're looking good. We're still at the top of the table. I know it's early days. It's only around four, but isn't it great to see it?
1: It is. And another thing that's great to see is Kate Flannery, the UL Bow's out half. She is the top scorer in the com- uh, in the competition at the moment. For a player who needed to I think remind people maybe a bit higher up the, the coaching and selector selecting uh, branches of the uh, Irish women's rugby it's uh this is exactly what you want from Kate Flannery taking control of all these games and racking up the points and it's great to see her sitting at the top of the scorers charts there
11: I really can't understand how she's not even in the development section you know what I mean I I you know if they didn't want to name her in the squad could they not have brought her in as one of those development players it's Mm. not like we have an abundance number tens you know what I mean kicking points week in week out um I just don't understand it if I'm being honest. I mean, really, blood now. I've kind of hinted at who it over the last couple of weeks. But um, look, you will both be delighted that she's not mm. in Dubai and she's playing for them. You know what I mean? Kicking, kicking all those points. But um, yeah, I don't understand it.
1: Well, it's the, all she all she can do is play as well as she's playing and remind people that they should have picked her first time around and this will surely put her in the shop window again if she continues this level of performance. She's a smashing player, as you know better than I do. Um, but as you said, let's hope that the people that make the selections uh, the next time around realise what she's capable of and can be reminded of it. And all she can do is just keep knocking over the penalties and the conversions and getting in those tries and proving what a fantastic talent she is.
11: Yeah, absolutely, and a lot of young girls around her, which is lovely to see as well. You know, those Monster young girls, um, and a few of them played for UL Bowls last weekend. Or sorry, they played for UL last week in their colleges. Their college game beating Gal Regions, so they're playing together in colleges and in club and with Munster. Isn't that wonderful?
1: It is, it can only help them as well just with the understanding both on and off the pitch it's definitely going to benefit them as time goes on That is the Energia uh, as we said the Energia All-Ireland League Women's Division uh, round four the two uh, Munster teams doing very, very well Ballancolic top Ballancolic up to fourth uh, UL Bohemians top of the table We turn our attention now to the Munster Open Cup Wendy and some more action there
11: Yeah, lots of action this weekend and that. So I'll just go through the results. Middleton were defeated by Ennis Kilrush. Ennis Kilrush would have a lot more experience. Uh, 41-7 was the score there. Brough were defeated by Shannon, 45-0. Um, look, they'll be disappointed that they didn't score, but it's their first time fielding um, an adult team. Balancholic seconds were defeated by Tralee, 45-12. Unfortunately, the Skibbereen-Ulbos game was postponed, but that's taking place next Saturday. But I can tell you the line-up for the semi-finals, hopefully to take place the following week. So it'll be Tralee versus Ennis Kilrush, and the winners from Ulbos-Skibbereen will be at home to Shannon. So look, they'll be looking forward to that. Of course, we know that um, some of the teams went into the bowl competition. So one match there taking place um, next weekend. So Clonacilty are at home to Bantry Bay. Um, It's close to you. You'll be able to go and watch it (laughs) uh, next weekend.
1: Excellent stuff. Uh, good to see as well that uh, the the Munster Open Cup co- producing some lots of big scores and uh, getting to the business end of that competition already. And of course, uh, down West Cork from, right, from a lot of interest in it from Skibbereen's point of view. So we'll see how they will go. But lots of action to come across Munster over the coming weeks here on the big red bench. We finished this week with will we finished this week with the beginning of the uh, gargantuan fixture list that involves the under eighteen, under sixteen, and under fourteen. The first round of all the Monster uh, younger age grades. A Brilliant time of the year. So much excitement. I've been keeping an eye on Instagram across social media at the various rugby clubs, um, Wendy, over the last couple of weeks or so. And like, you know, we've had under tens blitzes up the country. We've had lots of teams, but we, every club has got girls out training and playing and even playing, you know, friendly games whatever before all this begins. There's a lot of excitement, but now we're hitting the business end at the beginning of the business and the start of these fantastic age grades.
11: Oh my God. Week one of the league. Um, can you believe it? Now I know you are, so everybody understands, we've agreed we're going to go through the fixtures for week one, but after that we'll yes. have to cherry pick and, yes. and go around the houses, but... We want to give all the clubs a mention in their first week of playing. Um, so we're going to it. We'll start with the under-18s and we'll work our way to backwards to the under-14s. But look, the best luck to every single girl who takes to the pitch this weekend. This is what they train for for the last six weeks. And look, we hope that they go out and enjoy it. We'll start with the under-18s. I'm going to name the four conferences together now. I won't stop in between because there's so many. So Ennis are at home to ballina Killaloo. Feathered. Thurless are at home to Carraghan Shannon are at home to Brough. planakilty are at home to Ballincolig. Dolphin are at Home to Dunmanway Bantry. Killarney are at home to the amalgamation of Middleton Yall and Fomoy. Um, that's the under-18s. At under-16 then we have Broth at home to Uelbos. Feather Perlis at home to Ballinaa Killaloo. Ennis are at home to Richmond Old Crescent. Shannon are at home to Kilrush. Um, and then we'll move on to the under-14 fixtures. Uh, Ballinaa Scarf are at home to Gary Owen. Ennis are at home to Richmond. Dolphin Old Christians are at home to Dungarvan. Tralee Castle Island are at home to Mallow Mitchellstown. Tralee um, Castle Island are at home to the Mallow Mitchelstown Amalgamation. Bruff are at home to Feather Thurless and Galbally are at home to Old Crescent.
1: Excellent well read just no, no better than any news reader I've heard so that just without even getting into detail as you said Wendy there's so much going on it's very very hard to keep track of every team and everything uh, that's going on but it's lovely to see the breadth of clubs across the province playing across these age grades it just shows the, from strength to strength and the numbers are there year after year now with underage women's rugby.
11: Yeah, I mean, if we look at the statistics, we're up 25% participation last year on the year before. I mean, that's quite a big statistic, you know what I mean, for us. We have two extra adult teams um, playing this year in you know what I mean? In our league. And now we're seeing the abundance of the under-14s and under-16s coming through, a little bit less than under-18. But that will come, you know, as, as the others go through. We were expecting that. Um, but, I mean, that's without looking at our development leagues. We named those teams last week that are in our development leagues. I think we had probably about... 20 more, did Mm, we, across the three age grades? and we haven't even got to the minis yet so maybe next week we'll talk about the minis and we'll highlight one or two of those matches and uh, you know what to watch out for but look it's going to be a very exciting season
1: It is and it's great to see all those teams and all those clubs the very best of luck both from Wendy and myself and everybody in the big red bench to all the teams making their uh, first round appearances at the under 18 under 16 under 14 Munster Youth Leagues over the coming weekend and as we said we'll do what we can in terms of reminding everybody about where games and when teams are playing but there's so many teams and such a breadth of age grades it's just not possible uh, but good to see as well that the minis are on the way back as well we love hearing about the minis as uh, as well as all those other underage grades that's it for another week of Munster Women's Rugby and International Roundup with our resident expert Wendy Keenan thank you very very much for joining us here on Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench
11: Delighted beyond
1: here. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website redfm.ie.
0: The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.